we're going to get right into the word. Um, for some of those of you guys that don't really know me that well, um, you are about to see a very different side of me that maybe you've seen before um, that I hope uh, really makes sense. Uh, I have, uh, if you don't know me, I need you to know that I am, not only do I love Jesus, but I also am a super nerd. All right? Like, I don't really know how else to describe myself, but as a nerd who loves Jesus. And so, uh, by the good Lord's will, uh, grace today and mercy, uh, my, nerd, my nerdiness might come out today as we talk about something that I'm really passionate about, uh, but I'm just really excited. Um, but before I do that, I would like to just open up, uh, I would like to start with prayer one more time. V.H. Uh, Clendenin says that there, there's not a moment wasted when it's in prayer. And so I just want to pray before we uh, start this sermon. So, Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another wonderful opportunity to be in your house, to be in your presence. We know that your Holy Spirit is here. And we ask, God, that as the word goes forth, that they don't see me up here, but they see you. God, that you bring conviction, you bring compassion, you bring mercy and justice. You do what only you can. You do whatever you want to do in this service, God. You have complete freedom. And God, we ask, God, that you just let this word fall on good ground. Let me, let me articulate it in the way that you have showed it to me, Father God, in the way that your word reveals it, Father God. And we just ask, God, that you just use, use this mightily for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody says... Amen, amen, amen. So um, one thing about me is I love, and I think everybody can relate to this, is we all love a good story, right? We all love a good story. And growing up, you, uh, there's a certain stories that stick more than others. There's certain stories that mean more to us than other stories. Um, you know, stories are such an integral part of our lives. We have stories that give us hope. You know, even if they're not true stories, we hear stories and they give us hope, right? We hear stories that encourage us, uh, that rally us, that bring us comfort, that warm our hearts. And life is full of stories. And those stories just do something in us. Like it's hard to describe when you hear a good story and you know when you hear it or watch it or read it, that a story can do something inside of you. Amen? Right? That it could be, and it's just really amazing that, that what the power of story is. And you can find, there's a book about this called, I think it's, this, it's, it's by Story Brand, this guy named Donald Miller. He talks all about it. He's a Christian and he shows how, this, how stories change people's lives. And uh, so, but the reason that is, is there's a few things. And when you start to look at the common themes of these stories, these good stories, they all essentially have the same elements. All right, number one, everything in the beginning of every story and every good story, uh, everything is, is good. Everything's going great. Everything's going fantastic usually, right? Everything's as good as it gets. Then the next thing is something happens. Something evil, something bad. Somebody comes in and evil comes in and messes everything up, right? That's the second part of the story. And then sometime, somewhere in the middle of that story, it looks like the evil, the bad, the antagonist is going to win. Every time, right? No matter what it is, there's always this moment in the story where it feels like all hope is lost in a good story, right? And then there's some kind of battle, there's some kind of conflict, and there's always some self-sacrifice near the end of the story by the hero or by the protagonist. And then at the end, the, the hero, the good side in a good story always what? Always win, right? Always win. Um, and then they always set things back right or set things back to even better than they were before, all right? 
And this is for every good story. This is for, you know, if you, if you ever read or watch, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Marvel comic movies, like the Avengers, um, Hunger Games, Star Wars, uh, literally almost any story, even stories that are not necessarily Christian, they have all, there's these, these same elements of everything's good, Something, some evil comes in, some destruction, some chaos comes in and almost ruins everything. A hero comes in, self-sacrifices, everything, uh, and, and they win, and then everything's set back right. All right, and that's what I grew up on. I love a good story. I grew, grew up reading all those books, and I was that kid, and I can say this because I was that kid. I was just a little different, all right? Whenever, whenever my mom would ground, when my mom and dad would ground me, I would not get grounded and have to come and sit in my room, Okay? That's not how I was grounded. When I was grounded, right after, I don't know if we're allowed to do this, but right after I got spanked, I got grounded. They always came together, right? There was not, there was not two separate things. It was just you getting spanked and you getting grounded, all right? All right? But anyways, every time I'd get grounded, I did get grounded from, from, from like my stuff outside or my buddies or people or, or fun things. I always got grounded from my books, all right? And so my punishment was to, uh, whenever I got grounded, my mom would take all my books and make me go outside <laughs> with my brother. And it was miserable. <laughs> all right? But so I love a good story. It, 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 even, even at that young age, a story did something in me. And all those stories had those same components. You know, and, and so why do these type of stories resonate with us, resonate with kids, resonate with everybody? Why do these kind of stories resonate with us? Why do we seek out and watch these stories? Why do we love a good, a good, a, a warm-hearted movie? Why do we love a movie where there's, where, there's a, where there's a battle and the good guy wins? Why do we love these things? Why do these mean something to us? Why, why do we love stories of her heroism and sacrifice and good defeating evil and everything being set back right? Why does that do something to us? And I think, I think the answer is simple, and I think, I think when you think about it, it makes sense. It's, it's because all of these good stories, all types of good stories, all types of good stories, whether they mean to or not, this is why if you ever read a book or watched a movie, and even it, it is not Christian at all, like it's not like the guy's not, the author's not Christian or whatever, but it's still, you, you, you have this sense that the, you get this, you, it reminds you of something Christian, right? And it's because all good stories, whether they mean to or not, whether, whether they're supposed to or not, they point us, and they're a type and shadow of the one true story. All right? The one true story of evil being defeated by good. All right? And it doesn't matter. You can read almost any good story and they will all have some kind of, it reminds you of the one true story of Jesus. Right? It's the simple because all these types of good stories, they point us to the one true story, the true story that defeats evil in the world and in our lives. And that's what, I, so what I would like to do today for just the next a few minutes, is I'm going to run through the Bible at 100 miles an hour. And I want to show you, and I, and I want to show you the true story of good defeating evil. All right, of good defeating evil. All right, so in Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we'll start there. We're going we're gonna to start in Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. All right, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, the offspring, shall crush your head, the serpent's head, and, and you shall bruise his heel. His heel. So, what does that mean, Jacob? Like, why, why are you reading that verse to me when it comes to this? Because in, let, me, let, me paint you, let me paint you a picture, all right? Let me paint you a picture. Um, in ancient Near Eastern culture, whenever, this, whenever the book of Genesis would have been written down or when it had been told orally and passed down, when Moses got a hold of this and began writing down the history of the Israelites and the people of God in the beginning of time, um, the personification, the, the, the allegory, the example that always summed up what evil, chaos, and destruction and confusion was. It was always a serpent. It was always a dragon. It was always a beast. All right, so anytime in ancient Near Eastern culture, whether it's a myth or in the Bible, there's always a serpent, a dragon, or a beast, and it always stood for chaos, evil, and destruction. It always stood for uh, evil, chaos, and destruction. So the dragon always meant, anytime you read it in ancient Near Eastern, so you can look up, you know, not non-Jewish, non-Christian, just any kind of any kind of mythology that popped up around the ancient Near Eastern culture in that Middle East in that same time. The dragon or serpent always meant chaos, death, destruction, and evil, and it always kind of personified. Personified it. All right, that's kind of what it, that's what it did. That's when you saw the dragon or serpent, it always meant, okay, this thing is evil. It sums up evil. It sums up chaos. It sums up death. It sums up destruction. However, and, we, and, and, and in the Bible specifically, we find this to be true. We find in the Bible that anytime you see a serpent, a dragon, a leviathan, a beast, a monster, it always, when the, when the word, whenever the Bible uses that word, it's always talking about some kind of chaos, evil, or destruction. All right, every time. It's never once like, it was never, it never does anything. It always talks about it in a way that, that's kind of summing up chaos, death, destruction, and evil. All right, just like the rest of the ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, cultures in that time. And so, and specifically, we, we see in Genesis 3, the serpent came to cause chaos and confusion and to bring death to the people of God. Right? However, in contrast to the other ancient Near Eastern civilizations, the other ancient Near Eastern, Near Eastern ideas of dragons and serpents, what I, what I love about, about the Bible is that God is not challenged by the serpent. All right. God was not challenged. So in, in other stories, in other myth, in, in other in other cultures, it was always good versus evil. It was it was neck to neck, and you don't know who's gonna win, and it looks like everything's gonna go bad, and sometimes the dragon won, and sometimes the good one. And there was this constant, and there's like there's this one, there's this one myth of how the world was created because the good defeated the evil dragon, the dragon had it was just really like it was always crazy stuff. All right, but it was always neck and neck between good and evil. However, in Genesis chapter 3, we see very quickly that the Christian God, the Yahweh, the Jewish God, this was not going to be like that. All right, from the very beginning, we see that this is not a boxing match between the serpent and God. All right, some of you guys might, may, might be new to like Christianese and Christian culture, you know, like kind of whole vibe. But back in the day, there was this singer called Carmen. All right. And he kind of looked like James Bond, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. That's what he, he was a Christian Pierce Brosnan is what he looked like, okay? You don't believe me? Google it after service. <laughs> but he always, and, and, you know, and, and he always sang these songs, and it was always, I don't even know what genre it was. I mean, it was like, 
It was like Beowulf. I don't know. I don't even know what kind of, what genre. It's like epic poems. I don't know. Carmen wrote these really weird, amazing songs that everybody loved. And every church in America would reenact it. All right? Like everybody would like, we got to do this song for Christmas. And this song. And, you know, they would act it all out. It was. It was. All right? It was. And, uh. And, you know, and Carmen now is kind of like Nickelback. Like back in the day, everybody loved Nickelback, but now it's like too, you're too cool to like Nickelback. But everybody used to love Carmen. And everybody's like, yeah, Carmen's kind of weird. But everybody loved Carmen back in the day. But what Carmen has a song about a boxing match between Jesus and the devil, right? And a song about this boxing match, this big heavyweight battle between God and the devil. And it's like, and you're listening to the song, and it's like, it's going seven rounds. It's going awesome. You know, everybody's, you know, bloody and bruised. It's like, it's like Rocky in there. It's just going crazy. And at the end of the song, you know, Jesus wins. And that's an awesome song. I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. It's, it is what it is. But that's not the way the Bible portrays God versus chaos, evil, destruction, and the devil. Right. It's just not. This is not a boxing match. This is not a heavyweight fight, a heavyweight title between God and God's equal. That is not what this is. In Genesis chapter 3, we see very quickly that we have God who is way up here, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, the creator of everything. And then when the serpent comes in, the chaos, evil, and destruction, very quickly, we, we see really quickly that God doesn't have to fight this devil. God doesn't have to fight this evil. All he does is speak to it. Very quickly. He just speaks to it. And something happens. So, so from the very beginning, uh, contrary to the rest of ancient Near Eastern culture, they're making it very clear that God and the, and the enemy and God and evil and good and evil are not on the same fighting uh, playing field. Just not. God is here and everything else is down here. And we, Genesis chapter 3, what God looks at him, he, he pronounces a curse on him. All he does is speak and that evil is cursed. Right? He just speaks. And what does he, what does he speak? He says, he shall crush your head. He shall crush your head. And this is the Adamic uh, covenant, a promise that basically this promise to Adam and Eve and to their offspring that there is a hero that is coming. There is a hero that is coming that will defeat the enemy, that will defeat this serpent, that will defeat this dragon, that will defeat this evil, this death. Because that, that, that word in the Hebrew, the serpent, can be used for serpent, dragon, beast. It just means evil, chaos, destruction. So we see very quickly that now, that, like just, in a good, just like in a good story, everything was perfect. Everything was great. Evil comes in and causes chaos and destruction and death. The serpent. But then we see kind of, we see the here, we see the, 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 the whisperings, the, the, the promises, the, the kind of, the hints that, there is a hero coming to set everything right in Genesis chapter 3. Three chapters in the book, we see that there is something coming that's going to fix everything. And these people, these, these Israelites, these people of God, they hold on to this promise for thousands of years. They hold on to it, right? And we see it. We see this promise pop back up again and again and again and again in the Old Testament, talking specifically about the, the, the hero that defeats the serpent. And I'm just going to give you a few examples. <coughs> Daniel chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. This is what it says. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast, the dragon, the serpent, the evil, the chaos, was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there comes one like the Son of Man. 
And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So fast forward to the book of Daniel and we see once again, we see this promise that evil, chaos, and destruction is going to be defeated by the Son of Man, by Jesus Christ. Right? There's this hint that's saying, hey, everything looks bad right now, but there is hope coming. There is hope coming. That's what, that's what the Old Testament's all about. It's saying, we're looking for this Messiah. We're looking for this hero. We're in the middle of this book. And just like in the middle of any book, the middle of the book is total chaos usually. And it looks like everything's going bad and everything's going horrible. But we're hoping to this promise that there is someone, something, there is God that is coming to save us. This is the, the, the basic theme of the Old Testament. We're looking forward to the Messiah, to the Savior. We see it again in Psalms chapter 74, verses 12 through 14. The beast pops up again. Yet my God, yet God my King is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters, the water and the chaos, the evil destruction of the monsters, right? Evil, bad, chaos. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. Once again, monster, evil, chaos. And you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. The king of old comes working salvation and breaking the heads of the monsters and the Leviathans. Another promise of one who is coming. Of one who is coming who will defeat the chaos and destruction of this world. And we see here again that this is not an, evil, this is not an even playing field, right? That in the, that very last verse, 14, you crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures. I love this because I said it's a 9 a.m. service. Once again, God is up here and the enemy's down here. Because it says right here in verse 14 that God is going to make the enemy, the devil, the, the liar, the serpent, the Leviathan. He's going to make him dog food. All right, that's the best way I can explain it, is that, that, that God is so powerful. This is, not, this is not a battle of the wills. This is, not, this, is, this is not, you know, this is not Kentucky and Alabama here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, this is Kentucky and Alabama, if we're being honest, all right? All right? This is, this is God turning the enemy, the evil, the chaos into dog food. This is not a competition. And so this is the promise that everything's going to be set right. And we see this through the Old Testament constantly. Every time you see, almost, almost I don't want to say every time, because that's the, but almost every time that I can think of that you see in the Old Testament, when someone prays, you know what they pray about? They say, God, remember your promise. God, remember what you said. God, you said you were going to save your people. God, you said you were not going to let your people die. And so even throughout the whole Old Testament, we have these people who are hoping and promising for this true story, this hero that is coming. And so we see that within this true story that all the good story points are kind of popping up. We have a servant of chaos, a promise of a hero and a savior. Reminders and callbacks of this hero to kind of get them through the bad times and, and how he's going to come and crush the dragon to encourage and give hope to the people, to God's people in the middle of the chaos. Now, just like any good story in the Old Testament kind of leading up to the New Testament, we're kind of in the middle. Like everything's kind of bad that's happening. We're being reminded of what's coming, but it's not there yet. And we're just in the middle of it and everything looks bleak. So I'm just going to, for brevity's sake, we could keep going through. But I'm going to skip to the end and skip to the good part. All right? That's okay with you because we got about, I don't, it's, it's 11.50 if you're taking medicine. So I just want to get to the end here, okay? Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. And a great sign appeared in heaven. 
a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. And this is, just, this is a dramatic retelling of the birth of Jesus and kind of what happened to the enemy in the beginning. Just so. And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, evil, chaos, destruction, with seven heads and ten horses. It started out as a little snake and a little serpent, but now at the end of Revelation, it's a dragon, right? A massive one. Uh, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and on verse, uh, verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. That's the, the rebellion of the, the, the third of the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who's about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is Mary giving birth to Jesus, and she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. So, like I said, we see it again. We see this dragon. We see this hero. This hero is now here. It's being, he's being born. This is Jesus Christ. And then skip down to verse 9 and 10. The dragon, the ancient serpent who called the devil, who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And John writes, I, he, he said, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. So he goes from being that they're hoping and praying and hoping and praying and looking and looking in the story to now he's here. He's here. He's here. And you skip down again. I'm just flying through this, but skip down to chapter 20, verse 10, Revelation. The devil, the dragon, is thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then in chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice on the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his pe they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so now we've got to the end of the story and what, what am I telling you is I'm telling you that at the end of this thing, right? At the end of this thing, that, that, that at the end, the dragon, the devil, the deceiver, the evil, the chaos, the destruction, he loses. Amen. Are you hearing me? He loses. Amen. And, and, I, and I, want, I want to make sure you understand this. He is cast down in the lake of the fire by, fire by Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've got going in your life. Your life might be just going awful right now. It might be horrible. You might not understand. You might, not, you might just want everything. It's just not going great. Everything is horrible. But can I tell you right now, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how hopeless it is, you get to win in the end. All right? 
You get to win in the end because you are, because if you are, if you are, if you have pledged your allegiance to Jesus, you are on the winning side because Jesus comes and destroys the dragon. All right. This, this dragon can be killed. How was he killed? We know how he was killed because Jesus Christ came born of a virgin, lived a perfect life that we could not live. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was, he was, he was crucified. He was beaten, crucified. He, he died and he was buried. And three days later, he rose again. So we lived a life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And he defeated the enemy we could not defeat, death, hell, and the grave. So he's defeated that enemy. So today you have, no matter how bleak it looks, you have hope today because this true story is that you win. That you win. The dragon is killed and we win by the, by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are guaranteed the happy ending. Just like, just like in every good story, we get a happy ending because of Jesus Christ. We do. And it looks like it's, sometimes it looks like we don't get a happy ending. But at the end of it, at the end of the game, at the end of it all being wrapped up, we win because we have pledged allegiance to the winning side, to the hero that was talked about in Genesis 3 and now is revealing himself in power in Revelation chapter 20. But here's what we do sometimes. And C.S. Lewis puts it so much better than I ever could. That's why he's C.S. Lewis and I'm Jacob. In chapter 9, he says, in C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, in chapter 9, he says, the, Some mortals say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. We win. And, why, and what that means is that even the horrible things that's happened... Even the things that might have been self-inflicted or the things that weren't self-inflicted, the things that, the things that look like make no sense. If we, if we have pledged our allegiance to Jesus in the end, he's going to take those things and he's going to work backwards and make them into glories. We're not going to look back with regrets when we, when we get to the end. We're not going to look back and say, why did it work this way or that way? We look back and say, look what God did. Look at the glory that came out of that situation. Look at what he did in my life. I was hopeless then, but now I have reached the promise. All right? So you see what I'm saying is that even, even all these things, sometimes we like to give up. because We're like, man, this is not worth it. This is not worth the fight. We can't do this. I, I, what's the point of doing this? But here I'm going to tell you is that if you will just hold on, he will take those agonies. He will take those pain, those scars, those, those nights of crying and suffering and worry and stress. And he will take them at the end of the game. He's going to show you. He's going to turn them into glory. Amen. He's going to turn them into glory. Amen. Into glory. Okay, Jacob. I know we win in the end. But what about the nasty here and now? I'm glad you asked me. Because I would love to tell you. All right. Okay, thanks, Jacob. I'm glad we win in the end. Fantastic. But my life right here, I just need a little, I'm, it's not going great. Can you give me some advice now? Can you help? What, what does the Bible say about right now? Well, like I said, I'm glad you asked. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, the, the, the dragon, the red dragon, makes his first big appearance. We saw it. And the dragon had been cast down to earth and is wreaking havoc. And then um, basically that's, that's what's happening right now. You know, the dragon's been, been released and he's, he's causing havoc. This the death, chaos, evil destruction we see in the world today. But then he says in, in verse 11 what we do, how we handle it. How, what do the saints do to handle this? What do, what do the, the people who pledge their allegiance to God, what, 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 what do the Christians do to, to handle this dragon? What, what do we, how, how do we defeat this right now? We know that we're going to win in the end, but how do we, how do we get through it right now? What do we do right now? 
In this verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 11 in Revelation, it says this. And they, us, everybody say us. us. And we have conquered him, the devil, the dragon, the evil, the chaos, the destruction. We have defeated the devil. We have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of our testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. That means that whether we face death, hell, or the grave, we are going to win by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? right? We're going to win by that. And then we're going to have a testimony and a story. We're going to have a good story that points to the true story. Right, that our story about how Jesus has saved us and delivered us and worked in our life by his blood is going to point other people to the true story of what he's done. Right, your story that's being written right now is going to point to the true story. It's going to turn those agonies into glories. All right. But then I want to keep going in Luke. And then, but this same exact story is told in Luke chapter 18 by Jesus. Same exact story. Revelation 12 and Luke 18, same story. All right, this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter, eight, or chapter 10, verse 18. I'm sorry. I saw Satan, the dragon, right, fall like lightning from heaven. Same story in Revelation 12. Behold, I have given you authority. So this is how, how do we, how, what do we do right now? The devil's here now. How do I handle death, evil, and destruction right now, right? Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, all right? And so this is, so once again, uh, uh, serpents and scorpions, what is that? What does that stand for? Death, evil, chaos, destruction, bad, uh, right? Those things, Right? The authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does this mean? What does this mean? Not only has Jesus defeated the ultimate dragon of death and Satan, but he has given us. Look at you and say me. He has given you the power and authority to defeat the dragons and chaos and destruction that is happening in your life right now. Amen. You are not helpless. You are not, and don't, so just hear me out. When it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the enemy, you are, you don't, you don't have, you don't, you don't have to be the victim. You get to be the overcomer, right? You don't, it, things are going to happen to you and it's going to be horrible and it's going to be awful and the enemy is going to throw things at you and your flesh is going to take you out sometimes, but you don't, but because you are, you've pledged your allegiance to the winning side, to the winning kingdom, you get to overcome it by the blood of the lamb. And if you think about this, and this is why I'm, I'm, I'm landing this plane, okay? It's 12 o'clock. We all are facing dragons in our life. We are. I was trying to come up with a list of dragons, and so I just wrote a few of them down that I could think of that maybe, that maybe, that maybe, maybe you're fighting these dragons today. So those are dragons of generations, Right? Our fathers were alcoholics. Our great-fathers were alcoholics. Our great-grandfathers were alcoholics. And now I'm, am I destined to be an alcoholic? My family is, is an, are addicts. Am I, am, I, am I an addict? Like, these generational side, these, this dragon of family. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know what I'm talking you know, You understand what I'm saying. The generational cycles, the dragons of generational cycles. Addiction. Pride. These addictions, these, pride, this, this, these, these dragons of pride. If you, if you go to that next slide, it'll show all the things I listed up there. You have generational cycles. You have addiction. You have, some, of us, some of us fight the, the dragon of pride. Men, we're really bad for this. We can do this on our own. 
Right? I, you know, I do that. that, I, that I fight the, every day I fight this dragon, I'm going to fix this myself or I'm going to die trying. Right? That's why we never, ever ask for directions or read a manual. Amen. All right? And then you put a whole table together and realize you, the very last spot, that you put it on backwards and you have four screws missing and it's, and it's wobbly. Then you have to take it all apart again and put it back together. I did that last Christmas for my son and it was awful. <laughs> Pride. And some of us, we, we battle the dragon of the mind. And that, look... I am fully support, there is, I'm fully support there, and I'm, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that, hey, just pray it through, I'm not, what I'm saying though is there are some things that we, that there are oppressions of the enemy yeah. on our mind, of stress, of, 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 of depression, of all these things that the enemy, that there's this, these mind battles, all right, that we face these dragons, sickness, despair, sin, unbelief, apathy, just trying to survive, laziness. Busyness. You ever been so busy, right, that you can't even, you don't even have time for God because you're so busy? That is a dragon in your life that is keeping you from the kingdom of God, right? Perfectionism, that you, that you have to have everything perfect. That's a dragon because you know what it does is, is you don't get to rest in the grace and, and, and knowledge that Jesus is the one who did everything perfect. And, you, and you, you heap upon this stress and worry and anxiety because it's now everything. You don't, you're the dragon of perfectionism. Pornography. Oh, Jacob, we're in church. Can I tell you right now, look at the statistics. 60% of Christian men look at pornography at least once a month. 60% of Christian men. That is a dragon that men are fighting. Lust. Greed, grief. Some of us have had horrible things happen. We've lost loved ones and we are fighting the dragon of grief and guilt. Some of us are stricken with guilt. We don't know how to overcome it. Lots of dragons in our lives. And sometimes it feels hopeless. Sometimes it feels awful. Sometimes it feels like it, we, we can't win. But Jesus has given us the power to overcome these things. To defeat them by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power at work within us, that comforter, that, that, that friend who is there with you in the times that he, he's given you the power to overcome these things. I don't know your background. I don't know everything going on in your life. I don't know what, what your life might look like. You might have walked in here and just left the worst situation of all time. But I do know this, that some of us are fighting some really, really big dragons. And let me rally you the way that this has rallied me. Let me encourage you the way that this idea has, has encouraged me that, this, that those dra your dragons can be killed. Your dragons can be killed. What tools we have at our disposal to fight these dragons? All right. We have the armor of God. Now, this is my, this is foam. Don't freak out. I should have told you and just been like, no, just kidding, it's foam. All right. The armor of God. This is mine. Um, Allie won't let me put it in the living room. I wanted to hang up the fireplace, but she won't let me, so it goes in my basement. <laughs> I don't know why. This would be perfect up there. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. Right by the Christmas tree. But we have the armor of God. And that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole, everybody say whole. 
armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, that you may be able to withstand. Everybody say withstand. In the evil day, we are living in an evil day. If you are alive, no matter what time period you've lived in, whether in the 1400s or 2020s, you are living in an evil day. All right? And having done all, you've done everything you can do, what do you do with the armor of God? You stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the redness given by the gospel of peace. We have to put on the whole armor of God to defeat these things. To defeat these dragons, we have to be prepared. And now I'm going to tell you how to be prepared. How do we put on the armor of God? How do we do that? If you keep reading Ephesians, to keep praying with prayer and supplication of the saints. But how, what does that mean? And you know, you're like, oh man, this is going to be good. Jacob's going to just drop some secret knowledge in my life. This is going to be so amazing. How do I do it, Jacob? Give, give, me, give me the secrets. I have bad news for you. I don't have any secrets. The, the good news is you already know how to defeat these things. The bad news is probably we just don't do it. Right now, if I had my own TV show, I'd be like, for six small payments of $9.99, I can tell you how to defeat these dragons. But I don't have one. So you just get Jacob, get the free version, okay? And then the extra 20, I'll get you the, the, the study guide. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. But how do we put on these? How do, how, do, how do we do this? It's very simple. And you know this answer, but, but, but we just don't do it because we live, we're, we're busy. We're, we, we, have, we have everything going on. We have all these dragons. We're too busy to do this. But the way we defeat the dragons in our life is through spiritual discipline. All right? Spiritual discipline. We have, we, and they're, they're very simple. They're not complicated. We have to use the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Right? We have to study and show ourselves. We have to know the Bible. Because you know why I have hope that in the end we win? Because that's what it says. I didn't make it up. It didn't pop up in my head one day. No. The Bible told me that we win in the end so I can have hope and I can fight the dragons in my life. Because I know that I win because I studied it out. Right? And then community. We need each other. We are the loneliest generation that we, that's been recorded that we know of. We are connected in every electronic way, but we are alone. And we are alone and fighting dragons that we can't fight on our own. But the Bible tells us that we are there for one another, that we love one another, that we build one another, that we help one another, that we support one another. In, in the context of the church, in the community of Christ, we fight each other's battles. How do we defeat the dragons in our life? Studying the word of God. What does it say? And then doing it together. We need each other. I need Dylan and Dylan needs me. Because there are some things that we can't fight on our own. Our family, we need each other. This is not, this, this is not one-on-one. Confession. James tells us, confess your sins to your brother, your faults to your brother what it says we need people and i'm not don't go post it on facebook don't go tear by your business because they're, they're they don't care unfortunately on facebook and they're just gonna you know what they're you know how much they're gonna care they're gonna read like they're gonna send it to four of their buddies screenshot and be like look at this dude right that's what they do on facebook just warning you right now it's true fact but you got to have somebody in your life that christian brother and sister that you can say hey here's what i'm struggling with here's what i got going on will you help me with it 
And that Christian brother and sister, they're going to help you. They're going to support you. They're going to pray with you. They're not going to go gossip about your problems. They're going to, they're going to support. They're going to help you. They're going to be there. They're going to support. They're going to pray. And then you know what? There's going to be people there. Like when you, whenever, if, if that happened and, and I told Dylan something, they're like, man, you know what happened to me? Let me tell you how I did it. I'm, I'm going to help you overcome by the word of my testimony. Yeah. Study, com uh, community, confession, communion, prayer. Who better to talk to than the God who created everything? That stands alone, that nothing can defeat or come close to, that not even the that even the enemy has to listen to his words. Who better to talk to? And fasting, Jesus says, some of these things cannot be cast out but by fasting and prayer. Spirit, we, we know these disciplines, but do we do them? To defeat the dragons in our life. To defeat the dragons in our life. You guys stand with me.